Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One day in the pub, Seb and Verity were socializing with hilarity. They knew there and then that their options were fast. They bought some equipment and made a podcast. What do you think you are doing, you twits? It's cliched and obvious, you know. Hello, my name is Seb Philpot. Hello, my name is Verity Simmons, and this is Three in a Bar. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, maybe this is your 64th time you've listened to us, or maybe it's your first. We don't mind. We, we don't distinguish between you. We think you're all great. We have a special musical guest, as we always do. Yes, we do. Um, we actually, th- this is different because we, we were going to do something different this week. Oh, we were. It was going to be our party episode, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We were going to do know, a live stream show. Yeah, we were. But you know but, what, um, Seb? Yeah. It was going to be a summer party and just look out yeah. the window. It's a rotten day. <laughs> it is. We so were we're saved. recording this on Sunday the 19th of September. This has been released on Monday the 20th. But yeah, it was going to be our live stream YouTube show. But due to a number of factors, one large factor being that that one of us, not me or Verity, someone integral <laughs> to the show, yeah. got someone got COVID. Yeah, they we did. Could, we couldn't do it. We couldn't oh. do it. So um, it was pretty rubbish. Bad news to get early on in the week. Yeah, it was. We were absolutely gutted. But it's okay, yeah. isn't it? We've, we've bounced okay. back. We bounced back, so it meant that actually this week we can put out this uh, fabulous interview. Yeah, and it's a good one. With Katie Kresek. That's right. Yeah. Uh, now, we chatted Seb, to you, her yeah. a while back. Now, probably about over a month ago, actually. Mm, Mid-August and uh, yeah. via Zoom, we chatted yes. to Katie as she was in New York on like a very small window of time that she has actually had to chat to us because I know you've got her uh, biography up there, Seb, but she yeah, potentially is the busiest person on the planet. <laughs> I think she might be. Yeah. Katie Kresek's dynamic career as a performer, creator and educator is defined by versatility and multi-genre musical artistry. She's currently the concertmaster and co-orchestrator of Moulin Rouge, Moulin, Moulin. Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge. <laughs> The musical at the Al Hirschfeld Theatre on Broadway. 
That's for which cool. she received a 2020 Tony Award nomination for Best Orchestrations and a 2020 Outer Critics Circle Award for Outstanding Orchestrations. Hooray! Do you know that Katie is only the fourth woman ever to be nominated in this category of the Tony Awards? Wow. That's amazing, That's so isn't it? so amazing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, the 2020 Tony Awards haven't happened yet. No! They're happening next week, I believe. Oh, wow. I'm going to check this. We are. We're so current. Tony Awards 2020. <laughs> now, Google tells me the 74th Tony Awards will be held on September the 26th. So that's uh, <gasps> next this weekend. Next Sunday. Yes. So, all the best to Katie. That'd be oh, absolutely amazing, wouldn't it, if she won that? Yeah. As a recording artist, she has performed on albums with Nora Jones, James Taylor, Paul Simon. Recent tours include Adele 25, Elbow's 2020 American Tour. Father John Misty's 2018 Pure Comedy Tour. Right. Rod Stewart at Madison Square Gardens. Lana Del Rey. She was the concert master of David Byrne's Contemporary Colour Project. That's where she met our old mates, isn't Byrne. it? Yeah. She played with St Vincent there as well. Tune Yards. Who else has she played with? She's collaborated with Rufus Wainwright, mm-hmm. Diana Krull, Billy Porter, Bastille, Beyonce, Jay-Z, Steve Martin... Ooh. Alicia, Alicia Keys, Kanye West, Shakira, Katie Lang, Chris Martin, Josh Groban, John Mayer, Lenny Kravitz, Joanna, Luce, oh, Joanna Newsom, Enya, <laughs> Susan Boyle, <laughs> Il Devo, Chili Gonzalez, Frank Ocean. I just I mean, wonder why Il Devo wasn't further up that list, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I mean... I feel bad for that. I left some people out there just because I haven't heard of them, but... okay. Uh, but there's there's loads more people. There. You did at one stage. I think you said Kenny West. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I personally don't know Kenny, they know West, Kenny West. I know his brother, Kanye. Her work in television <laughs> includes performances on Saturday Night Live, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, The Late Show with James Corden, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, American mm-hmm. Idol, Jimmy Kimmel, The Today Show, The Late Show with David Letterman. She talks about the late show with David Letterman. She had a, oh, she an experience did. on that, which... Uh, yeah, palm sweaty moments, wasn't it? Broadway credits include Hamilton. Yeah. The Cher Show. We haven't got that over here, have we? No, we haven't. Bring it over. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. American yes. Idiot. The Lion King. Chaplin. Follies. Cinderella. The Phantom of the Opera. Matilda. Frozen. Oh, so many. I mean, honestly, what we can say from this is... She's a busy lady. <laughs> not just that. No. She does other stuff too. What? More? Yeah, there's Go more. On. There's like way more pages on the website. Teaching. Oh, yes. The thing is, her teaching work is extensive, isn't it? And amazing. And she talks, towards the end of this chat, we, um, we speak about one of the courses she ran in New York. And it made me genuinely want to go back and study again. It is so cool. Um, I wish, well, you're here. I don't want to say too much, but you'll hear about it. But... It's so good. I wish we had something like it in London. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, talking about the um, sort of the social sciences and things. Yeah, you know, that's right. Of, of New York, tying it all into music. Yeah. Um, she holds a master's and doctorate in education from Columbia University Teachers College. She's currently an adjunct associate professor at St. John's University. Uh, what else? Yeah, that's about the intersection of arts and social issues in New York City. That... 
That's the thing. Uh, that's the thing. Yeah. And she also serves as the community liaison for the teaching artist community at Teachers College, where she mentors teaching artists on expanding their practice. How does she do it all? <laughs> How does she do it all? And she's lovely. And I can't believe that she found time to chat to us. We're so grateful. And um, as you'll hear, you know, it's Zoom. <laughs> we had we had a few some issues shall we say zoom issues <laughs> yeah so you'll hear all that yeah you will there is also if you're really into this chat there is an extra bonus chat on our patreon if you go down uh look in the description of this episode you will see a link to that and we go deep we talk about i've written it down here on my notes well we talk about um different characters in the string quartet she talks about um some charles ives we talk about follies and we talk about carousel. I say some things. <laughs> Verity slags off carousel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I pull it back. I'm sure I come back. From it was there. all in the face, which is uh, <laughs> lucky for you as it's an audio only podcast. I mean, so lucky, yeah. <laughs> but I do have the video on my computer. Uh, well, yeah, just talk um, about the development of Moulin Rouge, its orchestration. Also, remote recordings over the lockdown. Talk more about the Tonys. We don't really get into the Tonys on the main chat, but if you want to hear about the Tonys, how that all works, that's in the Patreon. Yeah. Um, also, her arranging workflow. How does she do it? There we are. As right, we, I find that interesting. As we're, trying to, we're still trying to decipher that now, aren't we? How does she yeah. do it? How does she do it? Well, should we find out a little sure. bit of how she does it? Yeah. This is our chat with Katie Kresek. As you came in, the cat did too, and I'm just going to move her because she's trying to stand on the computer and turn it off. So I just better oh. get rid of her. One second. Keep her away Sorry, from Matilda. that space One bar. One second. Yeah. She's sure, no problem. Here we go. Come on. Out you go. Out you go. <laughs> oh, she's, like a sound she effect. terribly unhappy to be moved. Sorry, Matilda. Wow. <laughs> Nice. Well, I've got a s- pretty decent mic going here. Yeah. You can sort of see. Oh, here, yeah. But, oh, dear. Um, Is that an Aston Spirit? Oh, yeah. nice. Nice that one. Is, All right. That's good spotting yes. for me there. From your countryman. Yeah, yeah it's an it excellent, is, yeah. excellent I've got piece. one of them, but it's just stopped working. Oh, no. So it's well. in a package ready to be sent back to them to, to fix. But it's really good. Yeah, that's yeah. been sort of my pandemic um, savior right now is is being able to have those They've been great through this. So, yeah. Oh. Did you have lots of microphones already, like recording from home? Before? No, not at all. No. Um, this is all very new for me. And you know, once I started doing it, I was really surprised that um, you know I hadn't invested in it before. But I just, you know, I didn't really need to, to be honest. So, uh, yeah. you know, now I'm catching up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We were the same. I, I'd never any microphones until we started doing the, the podcast which was just before the pandemic we started recording yeah and and then as, as soon as i had them i was like what have i never had a microphone to record myself playing the trumpet right it's yeah crazy. I know. yeah it's crazy and then, and then everyone bought microphones last last march right <laughs> the big like usb mic boom right. there was quite a wait for um the second one i purchased i had i bought the spirit first and then i got the origin after oh, yeah. that and um I, there was sort of a special on that one, and um, but I remember there being a, quite a delay with some of the equipment because it just seemed, you know, everybody was doing it. 
Have you, there have lots, lots of people been requesting you to record from home or have you been going into studios from th- for things? And It's been a mix of both, actually. I mean, at first it was, um, you know, tons of at-home stuff. So it was a pretty quick start to, um, you know, pretty steep learning curve for me. And luckily I have a really good friend uh, who plays um, in my Broadway show with me, um, Maxime Mostyn, and he and I play in a bunch of different projects in a quartet together. Um, but he helped me sort of like get up to speed really fast and, and just gave me a, some coaching sessions and, you know, tips on how to get up and running. And that, that actually really helped make possible, um, a lot of the work I did at least for the first, you know, six months, maybe, maybe even more than that first year, you know, before we were really doing in person again. Yeah. Thank Um, goodness for that. That's great, isn't it? Right. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually live over the BQE, uh, which is the Brooklyn Queens Expressway in New York yeah. City. So it's like one of the noisiest highways that you can imagine. So <laughs> so that so finding ways to mitigate that uh, street noise was the probably the hardest part of all of this. Right. It, you know, using the equipment was nothing. It was just yeah. sort of figuring out the rhythms of like waiting for these helicopters and motorcycles to go by and, you know, trying to get the take in in like 30 seconds. That was, yeah, yeah, that was totally. The, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was probably the hardest bit. <laughs> Am I really, it's 24th of September that Moulin Rouge is starting back up again. I mean, in theory, that's, yeah. that's the plan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's so exciting. Are you looking forward to getting back now? I am. I, um, I, you know, I, it almost doesn't seem real, you know, and I think we're all sort of have a little PTSD of, from all our work being canceled, but, um, I'm trying to be very measured in my expectations right now because, um, you know, I know we're going ahead and they're, they're actually, you know, it's Monday morning here and they're all in rehearsals right now. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, not the the band. The band comes yeah. in later in the process, but the cast is there, and they are all at uh, at studios in New York City, getting ready to go. So it's happening. I mean, they figured it out. You know, the the health protocols and like, and um, the health and safety measures that need to be happening. And so, you know, I just I my my feeling right now is, you know, I'm. Um, worried you know just about the way the variants are going and I'm hoping that we're still able to move forward but I think you know I think the way they're doing it it's um great because they've they've got uh, a lot of safety measures you know testing vaccines are required um and you know we're we're testing every I think probably every day or every other day uh, maybe every 72 hours or something like that so um you know, I think that they've they've done just about the best job they could do in terms of making it possible to come back. So I'm I'm excited, but I'm also, you know, trying to just be really, um, you know, uh, calibrated to the situation, I guess you could yeah. say. And it's coming to London. We've got yeah, it. I know. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I think it'll be in the West End in November, I believe. I think so. So what, yeah. so what can we expect from this show? What's the... Is it very oh. true to the film or yeah, what have they done? I mean, yes and no. I think that, uh, I mean, I can speak certainly to the music first, which is that, you know, I think what our music supervisor and, and our, you know, the, the arranger of all this uh, musical brilliance, uh, Justin Levine, I think what he's done is to really bring in uh, music that, 
I guess sort of brings up to date, you know, these, the emotions and feelings of the original film and all the, the sort of aesthetic expression, but changes it to, you know, um, speak to audiences of today who sort of have that whole back, uh, life experience of, you know, shows like Glee and like, um, you know, and, and, uh, just the sort of jukebox musical experience. I think it, um, it's, uh, something that brings together, you know, the, the idea of the, I mean, I think, I mean, the original Moulin Rouge was really about mashups, I think before there were yeah. mashups, you know? So yeah. I think in a way now that that, that as a genre has been so refined, I think Justin's done something where he's really uh, used that, you know, musical language to create what's in there now. And uh, it's really, you know, just because so many genres are now brought in. I mean, it's like such a great mix of, you know, uh, contemporary singer songwriter stuff and pop and like hip hop and, and, um, you know, classic love songs and uh, classical music. I mean, because I think, you know, the story itself is such a um, kind of a iconic uh, or archetype of like the, you know, the bohemian ideals and then, you know, death by some terrible lung disease and, I guess it's, I guess it's consumption in both Labo M, right? And yeah, yeah, that's it. It is, right? I think you're right. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, all the core story is still there. Um, And the thing, you know, some things that are, I mean, I don't want to give too many spoilers, even though the show is out and, you know, the cast (laughs) album is out, but, you know, I mean, every, I think sort of aesthetic high point in the musical has been highlighted musically. Um, so just the way, you know, you walk into the theater and there's already music playing. There's this pre-show music when you come in um, that was created by our uh, music producer, Matt Stein, and also my fellow orchestrator. Um, and people always are asking me where they can purchase that music. It's not really available anywhere, but it's, uh, you know, you just walk in and like Alex Timbers, our director, has created this feeling that you're really walking right into the to the nightclub, you know, and yes, which I love. He's, he's so, he's so amazing at sort of breaking that fourth wall. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you go in and you're immediately immersed and at least in our theater, they, you know, they put so much into changing the environment of the theater and like refacing things. And, um, you know, you're, you walk in and the windmill is right there and then the elephant is on the other side and, these heart portals that Derek McLean has created, they sort of set back in layers, you know, from the front of the stage to the back. And so you really feel this, uh, this portal to another world and another time, which I, I really appreciate when you walk in there. It's just, it's a stunning, breathtaking experience to walk in, you know, and it's like you get your money's worth just, just opening that. the door. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so it's like price of admission. Yeah. 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 So, so that part is great. Yeah. That part is great. And, um, yeah, and then I think, I mean, Sonia Taya, our, our choreographer, has just, I mean, just broken all sorts of molds with her work. I mean, it, everything is so um, athletic and visceral and intense and just, I don't know how these guys do it every night, but just, you know, the choreography is out, it's just outstanding. Um, the I watched costumes. that video of um, Roxanne, actually, earlier when they oh, were really? talking about it. And it, oh, yeah, great. It looks, it looks fantastic. Yeah, and, yeah. The lady who's the who's the you know the main um, dancer in that 
in that section. She's Robin incredible, Herner. isn't she? Yeah, really yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I'm I'm so pleased actually that she's been nominated for uh, a Tony for a Best Supporting Actress because. Um, you know, I think oftentimes, I mean, I don't know about this really with the history of the Tonys, but I, I don't know that dancing is acknowledged as much as it should be. I mean, choreography is, but like, you know, I mean, her dancing as part of that role is just so inextricably linked with the presentation of that character. I mean, actors often, you know, have say a lot of lines and and that's what we're, you know, we're rewarding them for their singing and stage presence and all this stuff. And but I think Robin's dancing is just like such an amazing example of, of this physical expression being at the, the highest caliber, you know, as a way of communicating story. So um, that's really kind of beautiful. That will apps not kind of, it's, it's really great. I'm just <laughs> yeah. so thrilled for her. <laughs> yeah. I listened to the recording today uh, at Info and it was oh. so great. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I don't know why I hadn't, I hadn't listened to it before. It's um such incredible arrangements and oh, thank you. I, I mean there's yeah. and it, get, it goes between so many songs I mean I don't know how many songs it references in the whole 81 is it 81 yeah. wow yeah, I believe it's 81 it's, it's, it's so good and I mean I was, I was wondering like as an as you were one of the orchestrators on it mm-hmm. at what point were you brought in to, to um, work on it yeah uh well so a few I guess this would be maybe three or four years ago now oh my gosh <laughs> four four years ago um I got a call from Justin Levine, who, you know, I'd worked with a few times uh, in sev- on several different projects. Uh, one, I think the first time I was on Contemporary Color, which is a project I did with David Byrne and also where I met Tom Carlson and Kelly Pratt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whose podcast I just listened to earlier. Oh, oh. Wow. gosh. And they so... referred to you as a slayer violinist. <laughs> Yeah. I love their introductions. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> God, they're, they're just the best. I mean, if you could just award a best human award, you know. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So so we all met on that project, which, which was just such a, you know, uh, oh, my gosh, what a brilliant idea. I mean, I like I've always been a, a David Byrne fan since I was, you know, seven years old and like that. Um, you know, Stop Making Sense, I think, came out when I was, you know, still in elementary school. And, uh, um, you know, I was always such a huge fan of his work. And then just to get the opportunity to work with him on something and to get a window into his creative uh, mind was just a privilege. I'll, you know, I'll never forget. Um, And and Justin Levine was uh, doing the... uh, I believe the vocal arrangements on that. And he was, uh, you know, I was doing some singing on that in, as well as string playing because the, that project required a few different things from us as string players. So when one was serving as the BVs. Um, that's sometimes. brilliant. Have you done a lot of BVs as well? I think that's so brave <laughs> as a yeah. fellow string player who really shouldn't ever sing ever. <laughs> I have huge admiration Come for on. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, my, my mom's a singer and I just sort of grew up singing all the time. So I'm not afraid of it. You know, I, I would not go record a solo vocal album. Um, and I certainly am very hesitant to sing alone, but if, but if it's about creating harmonies, you know, I mean, the first time I did it, um, was singing with, uh, this, the wonderful Israeli, uh, singer and songwriter, Maya Isaacovitz. I think she goes by Maya Isaac now, but, 
Um, she lived in New York for a few years and I was working with her, um, as her violinist. It was just her and me and, and, uh, a, a, another guitar player. And, um, and in that setting, she was like, are you sure you don't, do you want to sing? And I was like, eh, okay. You know, and, <laughs> and, you know, just started doing that. And then when, um, this opportunity to tour with elbow came along where it was absolutely required. I was just like, yes, you know, I'm ready to go. Um, you know, cause I, I guess I just, you know, being raised by a singer, you, you sort of grow up with such a respect for it. So you don't want to mess it up, you know? Um, and then what I appreciated in all these contexts, like with Maya and then with elbow and then in contemporary color, which is that it's, it was, you know, the appreciation by everyone else of being like, no, this is great. Like this is, we just need somebody to sing in tune, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, and, and so, so that, that part was, uh, um, you know, discovering this, this, this other thing I could do. Yeah. So, I mean, Justin actually brought us quite a long way in terms of uh, getting us to get the most out of the experience of both playing and singing at the same time and going back and forth. Um and so I just remember all of us standing around in a room together uh, with David and, and the rest of the band, those of us who were um, singing on it, like, you know, Kelly and uh, Jim Boja and like a uh, bunch of, uh, of the of other players. And and um, I just remember thinking, like, gosh, you know, this like Justin just you know, he just sounded so great and his energy was so fantastic. And I loved the arrangements and I just, you know, it's like sometimes you just sort of have that like musical love at first sight with, with yeah. people, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of people I play with that I um, have that experience with, I'm happy to say, you know, where you just, you feel just right at home and working with them. And so I, I definitely felt that way working with Justin. And, um, and after we had done that project, I invited him to, to come do some backing vocals with Adele in the, um, in, I think it was maybe a year later or something like that. And he, jo- he joined us for that. And then he did another project, uh, with Lord for me where, um, he was doing some vocal arranging for that. And those, uh, projects actually both came through, um, a wonderful cellist, uh, in, in the UK, Rosie Danvers. Oh, Rosie sure Danvers. Know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so she, uh, you know, had sort of, these things were happening in New York and she had asked me to, you know, find people in New York. And I, and I, and, and always for things, you know, vocally related, I can't think of anybody else I'd rather work with than Justin. So, so after doing those projects together, he gave me a call and said, you know, I've been working on Moulin Rouge. Is there any chance you'd like to come in and, and do the strings for this? And for me, it was, you know, I think that probably like two seconds went, didn't even go by before I had already somehow <laughs> spat yes out. Um, and I had no idea what it would involve or, or how anything was going to work, but I, you know, knew the film really well. And I think the thing that really just made my heart explode in hearing that, that invitation was that, you know, is that I love Baz Luhrmann's work and I always have, and, and just, um, was such a fan of his, uh, aesthetic ideals, you know, yeah. it's just the way, just everything, you know, I mean, like Romeo and Juliet. The oh, Gatsby, yeah, I, I remember know. seeing Romeo and Juliet first time and just being like, my mind was completely blown. It was like, I think that was one of the first things. That, was that the first right. one that he did? I can't remember. I think it's definitely one of the earlier yeah. works, you know, it's, it's like just, a young Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Strictly and, Ballroom maybe before that. Oh, Strictly Ballroom. 
course. Oh, yeah, right. But it was yes. just so colourful, wasn't it? And amazing. Yeah. It was just like so So, so individual. Yeah. He has a real visual style, doesn't he? Where yeah. it's kind of slightly unreal. And I remember when watching Moulin Rouge and like the way he made Paris look almost sort of cartoon-like, but right. totally, you just totally get it. Um, and the same with Great Gatsby as well um, later on. It kind of looks sort of cartoonish. I remember someone remembers. Yeah, it was Mark Kermode, the film critic, saying it. It looks a little bit like Roger Rabbit sometimes <laughs> when they're whizzing around in the car. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Somehow it works in this, you know, relatively old book being, you know, made now. It it works in that sort of style. Well, I wonder because because there's so many different songs involved, and I imagine maybe there's issues with rights of, of what songs can be used or or maybe that's all sorted out before by lawyers and stuff but then but then actually i'm sure there was a lot of workshopping to to like work out exactly how much of each song so that there's a good flow to it um so i wonder like for you did you kind of was that already worked out so you just had to come in and go i know i've got to write 16 bars of some strings there or did you write stuff and then like it all got canned because they just decided to ditch it and all that what, what was it like that's a great question. Um, well, so I, you know, I had never written for theater before. Um, I, you know, most of my arranging projects have always been for just uh, albums or live uh, versions of previous, previously existing albums. Um, and, you know, a lot of the work had already been done before I even entered the, the project uh, and and I should say, um, the one of the the other orchestrators is uh, Charlie Rosen, who's a brilliant multi instrumentalist, and um, he took care of the brass and the horns and woodwinds and everything um, on this. So before he and I entered this project, uh, Justin and Matt uh, Matt Stein had been had already worked out a ton of of this. I mean, it was almost all done, you know, in terms of the sketches of the ideas of uh, you know, the important dramatic points, the, the map was in place. And then, you know, we started writing in early 2018 before it was about to, uh, go to Boston. And so, you know, we'd seen workshops of the show and saw how, uh, the story was going to be told and saw the plans and, you know, at, at, at the point we came in, it was like, you know, here's here's what's going to happen. And, you know, we want to see how strings and horns are going to enhance these moments. Right. So there's so like Roxanne is obviously a huge string moment. Yes. Um, and and that that is really I love what they have done with that in the in the show, um, because it's you know, it's all happening in this in this one, um, in this one scene. And then it, it's sort of alternating with the Duke having this conversation with Satine where he's threatening her. And so for me, you know, I was thinking a lot about, you know, how the strings are doing this, you know, almost demonic kind of tango playing, you know, and this huge lush orchestral symphonic playing that's, you know, coming from the world that Marius Debris uh, created. And then to think about how it descends into this moment of, you know, just complete devastation for for the main, uh, for our leading uh, lady there, where she is, um, 
you know, just realizes that she has no choices and trying and I, for yeah. me, I actually, you know, it's, it's funny to think about, about that all is like, well, how's that going to sound on a violin? But it's, <laughs> it seems a little silly, but, but in a way it's, you know, the textures that we were able to create there, you know, that was something where, you know, I, I, I felt like I had a lot of freedom to play with different textures that really, that really kind of think back to like Hitchcock and, and, you know, yes. and, and like horror films and like, and these, uh, you know, that genre of just like terror or, or hopelessness or all of that. And, and getting to express that all within one number was really exciting. And I think it's the same for like, there's another, the first number I ever orchestrated for, um, for the show was bad romance. That was like our, Oh yeah. Oh, or it's, I guess so it's good. called backstage romance, which is, you can hear is uh, if you listen to the albums, you know, it's a, yeah this starts it like late the lady gaga song is kind of yeah. the, the core tune there and then it and then justin mashed it up with you know uh white stripes and tainted love and um soft cell and and um and sweet dreams and just you know like brilliant tune after brilliant tune and and that was another one where it was like you know it has to be kind of these almost like gypsy sounding strings at the beginning. And then it has to, you know, move into this world of like folk going into like a four on the floor dance groove where the strings have to become like they're playing back up in a salsa band or something, which we yeah. normally do. And then they have to sound like they're moving towards um, like a crazy Lana Del Rey kind of like dance groove remix. And um, so to kind of bring in all that, the, that language was something where I started thinking, I started from a point of thinking mostly about, you know, how the strings are going to really enhance all these, these sort of dramaturgical uh, ideas. And then, you know, the, the awakening I had, I, I don't want to say rude awakening, guess, <laughs> but like, you know, where I, you know, um, with, with, I think for the first time was when we did um, Royals, which is in the first act you know, and I'd written all this stuff that I thought was just going to sound so great over, you know, the Lord song. And then, you know, I got cut. Like, it's like, no, nope, <laughs> <do> it. <laughs> brutal. And, yeah, brutal, just totally brutal. And I was, like, you know, and I was like, oh, that was my favorite bit in there. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, Justin was so kind about explaining to me. He's like, well, you know, there's this thing happening on stage. And he was so subtle about it. <laughs> and But when you think about it, it's like, you know, what's important is what's happening on stage. Right. You know, and, and it, it sort of, it, it reminded me to, to do more work in terms of finding out what was happening and not, um, not just go, I mean, I know what's happening in the story. Right. And, you know, we have all, we have the script and all the lines and, and everything, but, but when you see, you know, you don't see it until it's all started coming together. You know, it's like putting this big piece of furniture together and you don't want to tighten over tighten anything or over commit to something because yeah. you you do need to be flexible with that so um you know when as things sort of started to emerge I, I realized you know why so much had to go and I sort of took this approach that I would overwrite because it'd be easier to strip stuff away than it would be to add things in you yeah know? so just tried to get like a lot of ideas out on the page and then just like weed out you know, so it's like sort of survival of the fittest, I guess. Are there certain things you have done, you've you've written in the orchestration that are kind of individual to you, like things that another orchestrator might not have thought of? Is there something you can pinpoint and go, oh, that's that's my thing I, I like to do? 
That's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess, well, one of the things I was thinking about is, is actually what it would feel like to play it eight times a week. Yeah. You know, cause exactly. I think like, <laughs> we've all been in that situation yeah. that, um, you know, before I, I did this, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of touring, um, you know, with singers and songwriters and stuff, but I also, you know, spent a lot of time subbing on Broadway. Like I just, since I was, you know, since like maybe 2007 or so, um, just, you know, been subbing around and, and sitting in pits and, and observing scores and, and violin parts and seeing like, you know, what really works and, you know, forming, you know, <laughs> forming lots of opinionated thoughts about what works and what doesn't work. And so I think, you know, trying to make it something that would be fun for people to play every night was, a was at least my goal. You know, I wanted, um, I, you know, I had an idea that I'd probably be playing it as well as, as orchestrating it. And so I was thinking a lot about just comfort and how to get the most, um, you know, excitement out of the stuff that I wanted to play, but, um, and keeping it interesting, you know, so that like, you wouldn't just get bored of playing it every night and just start like looking at your phone or, or yeah. reading, reading the newspaper yeah. or something. But <laughs> I wanted to be something that would stay engaging while you're playing it. So it's funny. Cause now, now that to talk about it, it's like, I realized what a, a needle it was to thread, but um, yeah, like trying to find things that were really um, viscerally exciting and, and gave you moments to, um, you know, really let loose. And then also moments to kind of do create delicate textures and things like that and the, it's really the show that enables all of that so i'm trying to think if there's anything to to really specifically answer your question seb is there something that i do that's like unique you know honestly i haven't played the show in 18 months so oh. it's kind of hard to remember <laughs> was it hard balancing against the brass section and when when you were when you were thinking about the arrangement especially in the bigger numbers or where it's really building um mm. Was that hard with, you know, just having four of you actually to, to get something that would really stand up to the brass? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and, you know, we have a little, uh, technical help from yeah. Ableton and things like that, <laughs> um, here and there, but, but actually, I mean, the, you know, we, when we play the show, we, we don't even see the brass. They are in another room. So because everything's mixed, you know, and we have our own um, aviums, we are able to uh, kind of play the way you want to feel like you're playing. And then it's really up to the our uh, front of house, you know, yeah, to, mix to do the rest. Right. Yeah, sure. What are your, some of your favorite Broadway shows to play as a violinist? Uh, obviously, you know, you play some that haven't been arranged or orchestrated very well. Mm. Um, but then, you know, I've, I've done some shows where it's... It's just done so well, uh, you know, for that particular number of players, and it and it's just a joy every night. Yeah. Uh, what what ones do you, do you like? Um, well, I I mean, just most immediately, I I loved playing Hamilton. Oh, um, yeah. I learned so much from that. Um, I mean the that was that was not only a, you know like a, a joy to play, but it was also just a great learning experience because I think it you know. Um, it was so much about just like rhythmic tightness and, and, you know, really creating gestures that were, um, you know, sometimes you'd be like recreating a hip hop loop or sometimes you're playing something that needs to sound like a, you know, uh, a 18th century romantic, uh, like pre-romantic string quartet or something. Um, there's some you absolutely know. beautiful string quartet writing within that, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. It's just yeah, stunning. 
great moments yeah. in there. Yeah. Especially like I love the use of the cello in that show. I think that's yeah, me one of the too. best cello parts around. So um, good. Yeah. Yeah. Did you play that originally in the? No. Or were you, did you dep on it? Or? I, yeah, I was uh, sub on. Which it, I was trying yeah. to work out from your biography. Uh, <laughs> right. Which, no, uh, it, it's uh, it's one that I've subbed on. Uh, I subbed amazing, on yeah. sort of for a few years uh, before Moulin Rouge came along. Well, did you find that quite um, nerve wracking going in there first of all to that one? I mean, I know you've done absolutely tons of Broadway shows, but in particular because you're saying that you know it is such a quartet kind of sound. How easy was it to sort of go and fit in on that one? Um, well... Oh, I've frozen. Ah. No, you just asked a, a very bad question. I, it was a terrible question. <laughs> she cannot believe I tell believe you what, it. she's absolutely shocked. She's <laughs> <laughs> refusing. She looks absolutely ask. furious with us. <laughs> I'd like to apologise oh, no. now for my terrible question. <laughs> it's like the Paddington Bear hard stare. <laughs> It is that. It is that. I hope she's okay. I hope she's okay. Oh, dear. Um, I hope she's not um, giving a really fulsome response now, which which we're missing. Or maybe she's just using loads of very blue language that our computer (laughs) has. Oh, Oh, she's gone. She's gone. (laughs) God, I really did offend her with that. Well, it's it's a nice interval. To the to the chat, isn't it for the listener? Ah, oh, it is. It's rather like an actual show where you can go and. I've actually have got some ice cream, cream downstairs. Have yeah. you? No, you I ate it all last night. <laughs> I've got it's a box a of twisters. And cream. Oh, did you? That's classy. I've got a box mm. of mini twisters. <laughs> twisters, yeah. yeah, yeah. What's that one? Is that like the us green and? It's got lime, white. twisted round lime. Yeah, white, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then there's a bit of red in there somewhere. Yeah. Has she left permanently? She, Shit, uh, I should never have asked about Hamilton. No. I just want to talk about it. I really love it. <laughs> I know. Uh, oh, hi. hi. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. Hi. Does anyone know what happened? I'm not really sure. I'm not really no. sure. I thought I'd frozen and everyone else was fine. I froze. Oh, did you freeze? I think I did freeze for a second and then we ah. lost you. I yeah, thought I've well, asked... Ask such a hideous question that you've oh. had it. I'm off. <laughs> like slams yeah. the computer shut. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you'll give me, you know what, I just restarted because I don't know, uh, you know, what, what it was. So I just figured it would be a good idea to do that. But I'm just going to restart my audio recording. Oh, yeah. Sure, cool. Yeah. We'll, we'll re-clap. We'll yes, clap. we may have yeah. to re-clap. Um, <laughs> I just want to make sure that that's okay. okay. All right. Three two one it's great Great. it's nothing like breaking up a conversation by making everyone clap is there sorry (laughs) (laughs) we're used to it though right yeah quite exactly i'm not sure if you heard my question or maybe you did and maybe if i ask it again you're going to leave again (laughs) no 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 no. i that would be funny if you you said it if the thing just broke down again but (laughs) i don't want to answer i don't want to was it yeah i was just wondering about um going into hamilton um yeah did, was that a tricky one to go in and dep on? And was it quite nervous? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fracking, because it's such a a unified sort of string quartet sound there. Um, Did that make it harder or easier to go in and and sort of get be part of that unit? Um, I mean, I can't say that it was like the easiest situation for sure, but, but it was also with, you know, dear friends. Um, oh, lovely. The, yeah. Like the other string players who were there, I love their playing and they're just great human beings. And, um, you know, I, I knew that they would be so solid that all I had to do was be with them, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, so, you know, I think the thing I was afraid of, is sort of the same as every show I've subbed on, which is just like, you know, the the unexpected uh, that you might not have been able to prepare for at home. You know, there's only so much you can do. Like you never get a rehearsal as a sub. Mm. So um, you really have to kind of know the whole thing inside out. And um, and I, I felt like I had a, a you know, great first show there. So I, I felt uh, uh, really you know, like I felt like the work paid off, I guess. And, um, and everybody there is just, they're all such good musicians. And I learned a lot, especially cause I think, you know, uh, Alex, uh, Alex Lackamore at the time was the, the, you know, the original music director and, you know, he was great with, um, pushing strings to do things that we're sort of not used to doing, which is sort of like, uh, just being so rhythmically precise. I yeah. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say it, but you know, we're sort of famous for that as a group, aren't we? But, um, <laughs> but I a- appreciated a lot of what, you know, I feel like I learned from him about, uh, you know, just what you're able to do with the bow in terms of creating effects that, um, you know, are inspired maybe by, uh, you know, like technological achievements sometimes. So if like we had to, you know, crescendo right to a certain instant as a group um it was just like honestly really thrilling to learn to do that alongside my colleagues and there um so so yeah I I just really appreciated that and then um uh yeah yeah is that that sort of get it (laughs) just that no it's that thing um, just knowing like you were saying it's like knowing it so so well isn't it that Mm. that feeling that you're ready for any eventuality I think I, uh, the first I went in and depth on Les Mis and the first one I did um, there was a show stop halfway through there was quite a lot going on and like I was I was really in the zone I was going yeah. and they stopped it because the barricades caught on fire but nobody <laughs> I didn't realize that that hadn't sort of filtered down that was the reason it stopped so I was like 
my God, was that, have I done something? Was this me? My first thought was, oh my, my first God. show, have I done something and stopped this show? <laughs> the bass player next to me was like, yes, it was you. It was, <laughs> yes. Nobody liked that. Right? Oh. <laughs> it was the thought of all things. It was amazing. Yeah. Bastard. He'd gone through the barricades with his, his fiery whatnot. And it, yeah, yeah, everything had gone up. Brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, and, and there's always, there always seems to be somebody in a pit who has just that sense of humor that they'll yeah. do that to you. I know. <laughs> we sort of have this, like, um, I remember Justin once said that we were, like, um, you know, like with the, the, the dart blowers, you know, with the assassin, um, that <laughs> yeah. there's sort of that vibe sometimes in our pit. Yes, <laughs> so true. I've done a few things like onstage depping, like for Chaplin, where there was, you know, a whole tango choreography while you're playing something resembling Tchaikovsky concerto oh and trying God. to, you know, I was, I was listening to Kelly Pratt's podcast where he talks about his marching band experience um, oh, yeah. and yeah. how that came in handy. And I was thinking about like the, you know, dance training I had as a kid. Um, Cause otherwise I wouldn't have been able to do it. I had to really, you know, to play and move at the same time. Oh, Wow is uh, that was quite a challenge and especially doing it in like a thousand dollar dress that's heavy and beaded and, wow. and uh, god um, there are so many levels to why that is a very stressful show yeah as a dip oh my god yeah yeah it was really uh quite a thing um yes yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other sort of nerve-wracking ones but for the most part i mean it's actually I, i've had you know pretty great experiences just sort of with with how you know easy it is now to prepare because you're just given so many things that uh you know in terms of like getting the video and the um and usually you know everyone's so helpful with helping they need you to do well right so yeah, yeah. it's in everyone's interest yeah. that you do well so just slightly moving off course for yeah. a second but you were talking about orchestrating for this being the first time you've done it for a show when you you've done a lot of string arranging and orchestrating for for pop mm-hmm. albums and and tours and things haven't you is that quite a different process when you're going in and working with an artist um doing the string arrangements there uh, yeah I mean I guess it depends um I you know have I I do I only get to sort of step into the arranger uh, role every now and again, you know? And so, so when I do, um, it's always ideal if, if you're able to sort of be in there at the ground floor when, when those things are being created and then you can sort of, you can be part of the conversations around what the vision is. But I think the most helpful thing is always to, just listen a lot to what the artist uh, says about their work and what they're, they're looking to achieve. Um, you know, there, it's funny though, the, the least comfortable situations have always been when someone says, just, I trust you just do your thing, which is, can sometimes be great, but you know, you can head in this completely other direction where like the other day I actually got a, um, repair phone call, which is sometimes this happens where, you know, someone will have sent an arrangement to somebody and then the artist will just, it's just not at all what they wanted, you know, and that's nobody's fault. You, it's usually just about communication, you know, and if they're, if those conversations happened, um, around what work needed to be done. And I I mean, I, I've, I've gotten a few of those kinds of calls where, you know, I've heard the story of, of a, like a breakdown in the process where, um, yeah. 
something was supposed to happen and uh the way and then the artist just did not uh vibe with with what was uh, produced and so rather than you know have them take a second crack at it or fix it they're just hiring a new arranger which you know to me like I mean I I'm I I wonder if, if that is always I mean I feel I feel bad I guess to to hear that that has to happen you know and that it's like yeah because uh, I always just think that like well you know you should work it out like well what, can you be more specific about what you want or you know you know is it something where the artist doesn't know what they want and they want the guidance from the arranger which I could see being a, a situation so you know I, I so I've learned to try and ask a lot of questions and listen a lot to what somebody is uh, describing and to try and interpret that and um and try to also, you know, build in a, a vast kind of repertoire of references, you know, and to yeah. uh, that that one is one I wish I had I was better at, frankly, you know, where uh, sometimes I always feel a little bit like <laughs> a little weird when I'm, you know, on a session or something and someone references a band I haven't heard of or a song, you know, and I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, wait, what is that? I find that on this podcast <laughs> quite a lot. And I do like varying levels of looking convincing. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Love their oh, yeah. work. Like, and, oh, yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Like the oh, amazing thing. It's just, yeah, I don't know what to say sometimes but um but it, I mean so on the one hand you know I just have this like rolling list of of references I need to check out and um and uh like for example I mean we we just did a few live shows with um Trey Anastasio back in June oh yeah I've yeah seen so so those yeah. were some of the first live shows to come back and we were working on something where um uh, and, and I should say Trey has a, his own wonderful, wonderful string arranger, Don Hart, who is just, um, oh my gosh, he's such a brilliant orchestrator and, and also just writes these wonderful, intricate things for strings. Um, so I love playing his work. And But there was just this one little thing where um, we needed something written uh, like, you know, within an hour or something like that. It was, it would, we didn't have time to kind of, contact on and get it back in like half an hour so I just I had to write like eight bars of something and um you know and thankfully uh these rehearsals are recorded and I could listen to what Trey had said he wanted and and listen to his um you know he was sort of thinking out loud about uh, what would be the right fit musically for this there's one number that you know, is, is sort of a signature tune for him that, that he's probably performed, you know, 55,000 times. And so, you know, we needed a little string, quick little string riff, right. It was just some, not a big deal. Um, but, you know, in listening to him talk about it for a few minutes, uh, you know, listening to like a half hour where we were working on it and, and hear what he was referencing and the ideas that were turning in his head, you know, that was sort of something, it was really valuable for me to then, go research you know and it was an album I didn't know you know and uh yeah and so I had to go listen to it and that gave me you know a sense of the sonic world that that he was looking to create there and it it is always you know um kind of further proof that that especially if time is short you know you need to have some strategies to uh kind of step into the world that the person's talking about and and really try to help them 
uh, or to help yourself really to kind of get to that, that place. And that, you know, especially when like these days I find that, um, you know, budgets shrink and, and it can be harder with varying with all sorts of uh, different artists to get a budget for string arranging. And sometimes the, the vibe will be that you just go to the session and the writing session is the recording session. And so you're having to kind of think of these ideas on the spot. And, um, and a lot of times dialogue is really what makes it work, you know, just uh, getting, yeah. leaving the room and, going to find a, a separate space, you know, where you're just out of the recording studio and you're just playing around for a few minutes and testing things out and then building on those, you know? And so it's nice when you are able to find an artist that I think is, you know, um, very communicative about what they're trying to achieve. And then if, yeah, if you can listen and, um, you know, try out a few different things and then, and then be able to, to have a, an interesting dialogue that kind of gets at that. Um, those, those have always been the most successful collaborations I've found in terms of, you know, my own process, the harder ones have been when, you know, I've sort of been at home alone on my couch, you know, with my in-ears on and just sort of thinking about where to start, you know, and, and then once I get going and I, I, you know, usually the momentum just kicks in and it just increases, but you know, those conversations are really critical. Well, I was wondering about, you know, sort of coming to realizations throughout your career. Um, and uh, we were wondering earlier, um, you know, was there a point in your career when you, when you had to start saying no to things, um, because you've done so much stuff, look at like, in your, your biography, you know, when you leave college and that, you just kind of say yes to everything. I mean, that's what everyone advises to do. And then you know who you're going to meet. But I imagine you might have to, at certain points, say, I'm actually not going to do that kind of stuff. Because it, I don't know. Or, or have you well, not got it sounds like you've you just been do everything? <laughs> reading my dissertation or something. <laughs> I really? No, there's, a, there's a chapter on that. I, I, I got to say, I okay, didn't no, do no, quite no, that much. No, research, nobody so. reads. I was going to say, did you say <laughs> I know. I was like, I'll be really <laughs> impressed if you, no. if you actually read that document. It's really up to his <laughs> game. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've even read the whole thing. Um, no, I, there's a chapter on that actually about decision making. Um, where I, I really did try to analyze it, you know, from that perspective of how to figure out what to say yes to, because that was this topic of, you know, interest for me um, when I was uh, doing my doctoral work, where I just, you know, I was so fascinated by how people could just, you know, flat out turn something down, which to me sounded so, you know, exciting and that it could lead to something else or they're just, you know, and sort of figuring out how to... Um, uh, identify what might be valuable, um, not just to oneself, but like in a bigger picture sense, like what, what, what kinds of things are worth doing and how do you know when to say no? Um, and there are just so many examples of that over time where I, I can remember times where I've made mistakes there and should have said no. Um, and then there are times where, you kind of have to forgive yourself and say you couldn't have possibly known, you know, maybe you took on too much. Um, and you know, you, you realize that the trade-offs you ended up making because of that. I mean, there, there, I was just talking about this with a friend yesterday who's trying to decide whether or not he should take a red eye, you know, from California to New York to do a show in California 
at eight o'clock, you know, West Coast time and then get on a plane and then be there for a matinee the next day. And, you know, I'm thinking about the times in my life where I've done that, you know, like I remember um, I was teaching at a, a university where the first day of classes was on, um, you know, the, the right in the middle of this tour that I had. It was like a two week tour on the West Coast. And I you know I was thinking about it and I was just like, well, it's the first day, you know, it sets the tone for everything else. And I guess if I fly back at one in the morning from Portland, I can land in Queens and then I can nap for an hour and then I can go teach two classes and then I can go home and then go to bed and get on a plane at 6 a.m. the next day and I can be in Vancouver the next day. And I did it. And, and I, Oh my God. You know, and now in retrospect, it was like, at the time, it just seemed absolutely essential that I do both things. And now, I don't know if it's just like a pandemic reflective transformation or what, but, um, you know, now it's like, no, I mean, and I remember, I remember thinking, (laughs) I remember thinking that when I, when I arrived at the, the school, I got to the school and I was just like, so proud of myself. I was like, I, you know, did this Herculean trip across, you know, the country to be here for my students. And I saw this memo that had been photocopied in the office by another faculty member who was like, I'm not feeling well today. So I'll miss the first day of classes. And, uh, here's an article and see my TA for your, you know, assignment. I was like, you're kidding. You know, and it just like never occurred to me to just like lie and call in sick. Um, and you know, I just used to do stuff like that all the time, you know, just try to get from, you know, once I remember the only time I was ever late for a show was when I had a a gig that was like a TV gig that was like literally across the street from the show I had to play. So I was taping an episode of David Letterman, um, the late show with David Letterman, which is no longer on, it's now, you know, Colbert's show. Um, and, uh, but at the time, you know, it, it seemed like a reasonable transition that I would end at 6 p.m. And then at 7 p.m. I had a show and I would walk across the street. And uh, they, you know, they had this delay. This, like some, There was like a power outage or something. And there was a delay with the show. And it like the delay was like an hour, you know, a full hour. And they're like, oh, oh you know, gosh. and you're just sweating oh. bullets. Just, yeah, you know, and so I've, I've, learned through experiences like that over time to just never even get close to those precarious situations anymore, you know? And, but I think we you know when you're young and you're, you're trying to be all things to all people, like we all have to be sometimes, you know, we have to be wear all these hats, you know, and just to make a decent living. Um, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's like you, and it's a scary thing sort of saying no, first of all, isn't it? It's, a, it's hard to, and sort of knowing at the point where you can and it's not going to adversely affect your career or you're going to miss out on things that you want to be doing. Absolutely. It just seems like this huge picture, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. So there's this this whole world in which, you know, saying no to someone is like, you know, just erasing yourself from their, their lists of, you know, and, and you think you're just not going to get called again. And I think... And, and I think that may be true. I used to say to my, I, for a while, I would say to myself, well, um, you know, if that person really wants you, they'll call you again. And that's not exactly true. You know, sometimes, sometimes it is. And then sometimes it is about 
the fact that uh, you just don't say yes enough. So, you know, whatever. But, um, but I think what I've landed on is that the relationships that are valuable, you know, if they're valuable to you, you'll find a way to say yes in a way that also works for you. Or you'll make sure to express to them, you know, that, that you would love to do this and that there is just no way you can be in two places at the same time. And that's just the way it is. And that, you know, you really want to work with them again. And so, you know, I think just sort of qualifying these things as they come up. I mean, it's hard to talk about this now, right, when none of us have worked that much for the last year and a half. But um, in the old days, um, it, hmm. yeah. And the future the, days. In the future days, right. These yeah. roaring 20s yeah. we're expecting to hit any day now. Yeah, quite. <laughs> Come <Right>. on. <laughs> but I, I mean, I did spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about that. And what I found in my, at least my research on this, um, was that, you know, people really cared about when they, when it came to saying yes, what people, pe- you know, free, other freelancers, you know, and people who wore a lot of hats were thinking about was that, you know, first question was who else is, is going to be there? You know, that it was a social, you know, like who else am I playing with? Um, another was like, is my voice going to be heard or is this something that anyone else can do? Am I, how replaceable and easy is it for someone else to jump in here? Um, and a lot of times it, it, it hasn't been that it's so much about money, you know, but it's really about those questions of how you're valued, I think. And Broadway, I think, sometimes can be hard for people because I think they're like, there's such an expectation that they sound like the person who holds the chair or that they at least do the job in that way. Um, so it can be disheartening for people, I think, sometimes when they feel like their individual voice as a player may not be valued as much as their ability to sort of fill a seat. Um, so I see why sometimes that can be, uh, difficult on people. And then sometimes, you know, like these other situations with different bands, um, and working with different artists, you, you know, when you, when you come upon a situation where, uh, you know, everyone lights up when they see you or, or you just feel appreciated or, or like valued in that situation, that, that is a kind of currency that, you know, I mean, obviously you have to pay the bills, but like that feeling, you know, to, to know that you're, you're wanted and needed, um, you know, goes a really long way, at least for me. Um, absolutely does. Yeah. Have there been, I'm I'm just thinking about when you think about yourself as a brand, like you, you know, if you've got a website, you've got a sort of an image of yourself as a musician there are also so not not just scheduling issues with saying yes to everything, but also maybe there's something a project that you don't really want to be associated with, and maybe I mean we've all done shit gigs over the years, I'm sure, but um, there has to be a point where you're like, actually, this isn't going to look good, like Chick Fil A. <laughs> I mean, I, I I did get a call from someone to do a Chick-fil-A video c- and commercial, you know, and their their views on uh, the rights of LGBTQ uh, community is something that I just can't support, you know, because they're quite anti um, anti gay, frankly. And um, oh, God, and I didn't I, know about the this must be an, um, is an American. Yeah, brand. right. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't realize yeah, yeah. it's not. I, I don't really no, know. No, no, no. I 
were they also by the way Seb has frozen I've just got oh, to no. say because I can't imagine that if otherwise he's holding the most extraordinary sure, yeah he's frozen with joy it's, it's, <laughs> actually I'm sure Seb wouldn't mind me asking yeah. you while he's offline about this but I was going to he's say he's frozen with joy got a, a, a fantastic teaching CV oh, as yes. well to go yes. alongside actually as I was reading it I went I actually said out loud to my husband I just don't understand how she can do all of this. How did she find the time? It's incredible. But there, there's one thing that really, really st- stood out to me. I think it sounds amazing. It was one of the courses that you teach. And I, I, you have to remind me where it is, but it's an interdisciplinary um, course where you were talking about the intersection of the arts and social issues in right. New York. And that sounds so brilliant. And the, in London at the moment and in the UK in general where the arts are being really marginalised and, and kind of pushed. It would be so great to have something like that here so that people could just see the value of the arts in just across the board in all social Oh, my settings. gosh, yeah. So how does it work? What What's the course Well, exactly? so that course um, was primarily um, a chapter of, of a, a larger theme for freshmen at St. John's University called Discover New York. So every every incoming freshman who studies at St. John's is required to learn um, about the city that they're living and learning in uh, through the yeah. uh, particular lens. And there's a huge faculty that ha- all specialize in different topics. Um, and you know, it could be discover New York through the lens of like environmental science or through the lens of literature, or for my case, it was interdisciplinary arts. Um, so, you know, dance, music, musical theater, um, uh, visual art and, uh, literature. Um, here he is. (laughs) Oh, he's back. He's back. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. My one-year-old daughter, turned off the internet oh (laughs) Oh my goodness sorry we were just having a little chat about um the the course that katie teaches which is about looking at the arts um sorry let me get it right again it's to do with the arts (laughs) and social social issues yeah oh god i can't use words oh Oh, no all my words were gone social issues and the arts and how they intersect Basically, there we go. I found words. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Please so continue. I guess to to thanks. I should clarify the what I mean by intersection there. I mean, I guess that. Um, so the way I designed it was that uh, you know we have a lot of freedom in terms of uh, of uh, designing it, but but the department you know would give us social issues that we need to address. So issues of uh, structural racism, uh, gender inequities. Um, issues over money, poverty, income inequality. And, you know, I was given those issues and I I basically looked for works of art across many genres that would address those. So one of the most important things we do is read Toni Morrison's novel Jazz, which, you know, examines these issues of um, structural racism and and sort of a legacy of violence in African-American families and how, you know, how do they or how can they recover from a legacy of slavery? Um, and that novel is so amazing on, on so many levels. But the way that jazz is used as a sort of uh, metaphor uh, and also a kind of a language influence, the way she writes it, um, you know, that she's 
exploring with the ideas of improvisation and she's exploring the ideas of riffing and the blues and sort of bringing in all of those aesthetic uh, contributions to the, to the form and doing that in a, um, a, a, a written way, if that makes sense. And so, you know, that novel is comprised of all these vignettes where it's jumping around from in time and space and you're getting this sense of these family members who are, have all inherited this um, this kind of violence in their lives uh, after the after emancipation um, in the 1860s. So, so that you know that book is is like one of the really important features of that course. You know, it it, it we we travel to Harlem where the, the novel is set and we look at the streets where these characters might've lived and we visit jazz clubs and we listen to music and we, you know, and I, and these are all students who are not, uh, these are not music students, right? These are, um, if they're, they come from all walks of life. So they, so the challenge is like, how are you doing musical improvisation and, and addressing the idea of improv with students who are not musicians. Right. And that's kind of a fun challenge for me. Um, so are they generally receptive? Is it quite hard to get started with them or do they go I mean, for it? Well, I try to design it in a way where they can access the idea of improvising just as like making something up, you know? So the, I always start with the question of like, where do we have to make stuff up? Or, you know, or, or as I sometimes have said, you know, I don't think I've ever said, where do we make shit up in the class? But like, you know, you're, you're basically just thinking like, <laughs> where, where, you know, and, and I love hearing their answers because it's everything from like, you know, when you're trying to impress a date to uh, at work to make excuses for not having done your work, um, talking to your parents, you know, it's just like all, all these things where you see how we can relate to this. And, um, you know, and then we explore the I- idea of improvising with rhythm you know, and I like get a lot of uh, inspiration from this Langston Hughes book called the the Book of Rhythm. You know, which is always like a a great thing to read because it's like he's like let's look at rhythm in you know drawings and let's look at it in music and let's look at it in the world and like in just in nature and all stuff. And he just like has all these great ways to approach it. So, you know, so getting it's it's definitely not like it's not always the easiest thing, but I think it's you know something that. Um, helps open eyes to, you know, this world around them. I mean, other things we do is like we read, you know, E.B. White's uh, Here's New York and we uh, go around and we look at street art murals and we um, we listen to Hamilton and we go, you know, and visit uh, lower Manhattan and look at like the, um, the areas that were involved in the Revolutionary War there. And so we... Um, we look at photography, you know, humans of New York, and we do all, all sorts of things that kind of get at these social issues through the lens of the arts. So we're look, we're examining works of art that address social issues in New York City. Um, yeah, so. Oh, it sounds so brilliant. I want to come. You know, it's so funny because when I tell sounds, people about it, I know people are like, can I get yeah. the syllabus just as a reading list? So I feel like I should start yeah. some sort of book club or something or, or some kind of like yeah. art club about it. Is that the answer to my question? Or oh, gosh. I don't are you, oh, you no, sorry, no, we got <laughs> <laughs> Except there was a, 
There was this terrible moment where Katie was talking about the fact that she wouldn't do an advert for this, this company yeah. who basically are massively homophobic. And your face had stuck. Like, <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, he's got to have right. stuck. Right, like, <laughs> we weren't sure. <laughs> always, having a, always having a breakdown. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I can't wait to hear on, when I Yeah, you'll when, enjoy when that. You'll enjoy listening back to that. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. So we were talking about Chick Fil A, which I've, you know, I've, I've seen yeah. some of their, um, you know, sort of homophobic expressions in in the news, and um, oh. and I, you know, I just sort of felt like I wasn't comfortable with the idea of of doing work for them. You know, um, no. I mean, a long time ago. Uh, well, and, and I, just to finish that story, I. I spoke to the contractor pretty honestly about it. And, and the thing is it paid a lot, you know? Um, and I thought about it and I just, you know, I was thinking like, this was sort of recent, you know, in the last two years, two or three years. And, you know, we were firmly in the, the Trump era, you know, where it just, you know, a- any little choice that, I was making that, that, you know, would impact others. I mean, I just couldn't see working for a company that, that, uh, like this. So I, uh, you know, I spoke to the contractor. I just, I just said very fairly, I was like, you know, I really appreciate you thinking of me, you know, to, to take on a project. And I said, but also at the same time, I can't, I don't think I could work with this brand. And I said, you know, um, and the thing is, I couldn't imagine suggesting anyone else that I knew to do it. You know what I mean? That, And I had to be honest because it wasn't about finding somebody else. It was about the fact that, you know, I don't think anyone I know will want to do this. You know, I didn't say that, but what I, what I, I didn't go that far. I just said, um, you know, I said, I, I cannot do this, but I appreciate you, you just thinking of me as a musician. Um, and you know, what was so nice yeah. is that she wrote right back and said, you know what, I so appreciate you being honest about this and, you know, thanks for that. And, um, and it was a situation of saying no, where, uh, I think this person also probably was trying to kindly find someone, you know, just because she, you know, she probably wouldn't do it either. Um, yeah. And, uh, I don't, I never knew what happened to that. So I, um, to the, you know, I don't know if anyone ever ended up doing it or if they, ended up just realizing that maybe yeah, maybe New York it. is not yeah. the place to go if you're although their yeah. sandwiches seem to sell really well in New York which is unnerving but i guess some people are able to sell it you know separate their politics from um from that we've got this thing called weather we've got these pubs weatherspoons uh-huh. pubs and the uh, yeah. man who who owns weatherspoons is just a massive bastard mm-hmm. and he he's like he's anti <laughs> yeah. he was you know he's a massive brexit supporter mm. and things and he's just he's just vile yeah. really but i'm trying to make a stand and not go to weatherspoons it's really hard sometimes they're disguised as something nice and you don't oh, realize no. and then you're in there there's Come a lot out. of good things Get about out. weatherspoons aren't they like they're yeah. always in really nice old buildings like they used to be yeah. banks or theaters and they've all been turned into pubs yeah they kind of look after these old buildings um maybe one day they'll turn back into a theater or something oh no uh, yeah, they always do very cheap it's all very cheap, very cheap breakfast, very mm. cheap booze. 
Yeah. And for musicians, that it's like a perfect place, really. Yeah, it is. So it's oh. it's it's a very difficult one to decide sometimes. I think. I Have think I frozen Katie's... again? <laughs> no, I think oh, Katie no. is. <laughs> you know, she's related to to Tim. Oh no, she really loves where the Tim foods. Martin is that his name? Yeah. Oh, we've done it again. Oh, my... oh please now. We've broken this, the internet. This episode is is cursed, <laughs> obviously. Oh no, oh, she's she's, she's gone. Oh god, well. she loves Weatherspoons. Oh, <laughs> damn it! I knew I'd gone too far. Hey, there we go. Thanks, Katie. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for sticking with us despite um, internet issues and all. Yeah. yeah, there was one bit where I think she was gone for about 20 minutes. I think she, I thought she'd just gone. I think she'd had it. Yeah, I, I she'd really had did. enough. Asked her an irritating question about Hamilton, and that was that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, thank you to Kelly Pratt and Tom Carson. Oh, yes. Our, our old fabulous um, stateside agents getting us some cracking guests. Hopefully, we'll meet Katie one day. Maybe, yeah. maybe Verity will finally get over to New York. Oh, can you, yeah, I really hope so. I reckon next April. What yeah, do you think? I reckon. Am I, I being too... You'd be safe by then. Do you think? Good. That's mm, what I'm sure. hoping. <laughs> uh, well, has it been a good couple of weeks for you, Verity? Yeah. Yeah, I've started my wine course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's been full on. I've learned a, an awful lot about soil, which <laughs> isn't the most scintillating part of it. But I have tasted some great wines. And I think I know a little bit more than I did a few weeks ago now. But it's a right. lot of writing. I filled a notepad already. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Are you doing it by hand? Does that help you write it? Yeah, I think it helps my memory. That's why I'm writing mm. it all down. I'm reading this textbook, which is thick with information. About German villages. That's why I'm on at the moment. I can't retain them. Have you got any tricks for me? <laughs> any tricks to learn village names? Village names? Yeah. No. I'd say just say them out loud. Record yourself. Okay. Make, make yourself your own private podcast. You can listen to it. Yeah. As you're walking down the road. <laughs> That's a very good idea. Piers Porter. There's one. Piers Port, is that a German That's a German village, village in Mosul region. There we go. It's oh, going in. It's Mosul. going in. Piers Porter, it's going in. It's in there. <laughs> Somewhere. Oh, God. Yeah. There's a lot oh, to nice. do before the 5th of November. Yeah. But so what happens on the 5th of November? I've got an exam. I have to do a written paper and then I have to do a tasting exam where I have to taste two different wines and write notes about them. I'm very fearful wow. about this because I smell very different things on wines to what other people do. I'll be saying things like, oh, yeah, I'm getting, you know, cinnamon or something. And everyone will look at me like I've gone insane. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to have to just hope for the best and maybe copy other people's notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like Mr. Bean. Yeah, like my GCSEs. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? A little bit. <laughs> Shh, no, 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 I didn't know. <laughs> it's all fine. How about you, Seb? Good few weeks? Yeah, it's been good. We've been doing some uh, more Brasters work. Great. Been quite busy with that. And I've started the Rob Bryden tour again. That's oh, yes. Once more, which is really fun. Oh, is it lovely to be back? So good, yeah. Oh. We did, um, yeah, we've done two shows so far, Eastbourne and Southend. Oh, Coastals. 
All the coastal yeah. towns, lovely. Yeah, so the, so the sea. <laughs> yes. We're going to Poole next. Oh, very good. And Brighton. So we're getting, yeah, getting all the I'm going to try and come and see it in Brighton. That would be really fun. Oh, yeah. Yes. You're down in Brighton, aren't you? I am. Yeah. I'll be there. We'll try and Hurrah. work something out. Great. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It's very therapeutic. That was the show we were doing the night everything stopped. We were, we were on stage at Guildford G Live. Oh. About to do a sound check. And then it was like... Do you remember it was um, the government didn't say you have to stop; they just said we advise you to stop. So it was all it was all down to the kind of the producers to decide whether or not to to stop or not. Oh, what happened? Did they all just so, hook you off so stage? They just said, "Well, I think Rob and the producers had a chat and were like, we we can't, we can't. Aww. It seems immoral to do it, so they decided to pull pull the show." Aww. So, so that was a sad day. We all went for a pizza, a silent, oh, sad, a sad pizza. pizza. And um, but fast forward to uh, to last week, yeah. and we finally got on stage doing it again. Hooray! And it was like we'd never been away. It was really great. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. So it 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 all comes back, guys. It all comes back. It's yeah. all um, yeah. It's all good. Oh, hurrah! So I hope I hope people out there, if you're a musician, hope you're back working. Getting a, getting applause from crowds. That's a nice yeah. feeling, isn't it? Oh, so nice. I really hope so too. Hope you're just, you know, sharing lifts and going to service stations and all that kind of stuff. Oh, that yes. It's just it's just nice, isn't it, to do all that stuff. I hope you're having a McDonald's at eleven thirty in the evening on the last train back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a gin tin. Oh yeah. And a, and a whopper. Oh. <laughs> Having a yeah, banana for three quarters of an hour before your first show. That's what I do. Yes. Do you do that? Do you ever use bananas? Yeah, yeah, bananas. Yeah, it's good. Maybe a peppermint tea. That's also good. A packet of mints as well, I think, is really useful. So you can suck yeah. on a mint in stressful moments. That's, That's what I do. Yeah. I, can't, I, mean, I can't do that, playing the trumpet. Oh, no. <laughs> it's very much string specific, that one. <laughs> yeah. it's hard but when you play the string instrument or when you're not playing an instrument that goes in your mouth yeah uh your face can give away a lot can't it it really really can <laughs> it really can and i can carry quite a lot of tension in my jaw so my teacher used to say to me <laughs> that i had to play with my mouth open bit of a giveaway <laughs> <laughs> it's great <laughs> just don't know why i don't get invited back to places it's really strange <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, thanks, listener, for, for uh, tuning into this week's episode. Check out our Patreon, uh, linked in the uh, show description. It helps us make the show. It really does. Um, you also get a little bonus episode each week. So, so there you go. So please consider joining the Patreon. Yeah, go on. Pop on go down. On. Go on. Pop on. <laughs> but we'll be back, won't we? A couple of weeks' time. I'm going on tour. It's going to be a bit tricky. We haven't actually got an interview. Yeah. Booked, don't worry. We, don't we worry. <laughs> we'll do something. We've names. We've got messages out. It's going potential to be fine. Potential guests. Potent, the potential yeah. is the strong. Yeah. Have faith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In two weeks' yeah. time, something will appear in your feed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we'll do something. It'll be good. Anyway, have a great couple of weeks, everybody. Stay safe. Do. <laughs> Stay happy. Lovely. Uh, we'll see you next next time on Three in a Bar. Bye. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.